Don't be alarmed, ladies and gentlemen. Those chains are made of chrome steel. It's all right, Ann. Get them together, boys. They're going to be married tomorrow. Put your arm around her, Driscoll. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on. He thinks you're attacking the girl. All of them roaring. Well, picture. He can't get episode of No Gods, No Monsters, an anti-capitalist kaiju and giant monster podcast in a world where no one is coming to save us. I am Rabbit, and I'm here with Charlie, and today we're talking about the 1933 classic King Kong. First thoughts right off the bat, Charlie, I don't know if it makes sense for a big ape to be king. What do you think? (laughs) It seems like a weird choice to me. I don't think he is king. I think that's a bullshit fucking title. I think there's only one king, and that's Gamera. Um, <laughs> I don't think... I think he should just be called Kong. I think. So wait, are you be- saying he's more of like... Like it's kind of like Great Britain now. It's more of like a symbolic monarchy, and like the chief is actually like the prime minister, and they just keep Kong as the king... to to like appease like for tradition is that what you're saying i'm saying i don't recognize monarchy i'm saying (laughs) the only monarchy i recognize is gamera as king (laughs) that makes sense to me i just i do think i don't think he's a very good king if he is king i'm not sure they don't go into that and that's one of the biggest flaws of this movie we can all agree but (laughs) He's more responsive to the needs of his people, if they are his people, than most kings or rulers I've seen. Like, he comes when they ring the gong. You know what I mean? Yeah, but he eats their women. Is that what he does? They we'll never get into really... that. I do not know why he wants the women. That's Yeah. <laughs> We've gotten a little deep in the weeds for the beginning of this. For those who don't know or need a refresher, Charlie, can you give us a general overview of the plot of the 1933 King Kong and also it applies to most King Kong movies but what's the plot of this movie the great pyramid of Giza the colossus of Rhodes the hanging gardens of Babylon the lighthouse of Alexandria the mausoleum of Halicarnassus the statue of Zeus at Olympia the temple of Artemis and the eighth wonder of the world. Giant fucking ape? In 1933, director Carl Denham seeks an actress to fill the role in his new directing venture, hitting the streets seeking a beautiful woman destitute enough to agree to almost anything. He ends up finding Anne Darrow, who is caught in the act while shoplifting. He gets her to come along on his venture to an uncharted island where he believes there exists something unknown to modern man. 
When the crew arrives, they stumble upon a village of natives who are in the middle of a ceremony in which they are offering a bride to a deity known as Kong. Setting eyes on Anne, the natives insist that she must be offered as Kong's bride, and after being refused by the crew, they resort to kidnapping her. The crew of the ship, led by Carl Denham and misogynist first mate Jack, lead a crew of men in a rescue mission. But before they can rescue Anne, she is taken into the grip of Kong, a giant fucking ape. The film cuts between scenes of Kong murking dino after dino, and the crew being murked by dino after dino, until eventually Jack rescues Anne. Kong attempts to steal her back, and in the process gets gassed and captured and taken, pa- taken captive back to New York City, where he becomes an exhibition. Directed by Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Shozak, special effects by Willis O'Brien, with Bruce Cabot as Jack, stating... Women just can't help being a bother. Made that way, I guess. Faye Ray as Anne Darrow, cementing her place as one of the OG Scream Queens with lines such as... And... And don't forget... Victor Wong as Charlie the Cook, who I can't quote for fear of being prosecuted for hate crimes. King Kong as himself being a big goofy boy and Robert Armstrong as Carl Denham, uttering the immortal lines, Oh no, it wasn't the airplanes, it was beauty that killed the beast. But Rabbit, I'm going to go ahead and query this quandary over to your cute furry little lap. While it might have been beauty that killed the beast, was it not capitalism that endangered beauty in the first place? Was it not the exploitive nature of capitalism that placed Anne on the road to the grip of Kong? And was it not the exploitive nature of capitalism that brought a giant fucking killer ape to New York City? I mean, those are uh, softball questions because the answer is yes. <laughs> the, uh, that was an excellent synopsis. I learned a lot and... I gotta Wait, say, you the learned be- a lot. Did you not watch the movie? This is how I learned about the movie. <laughs> okay. That's not good. The beauty and the beast part of this movie is the most baffling part of all the stuff. I I do not understand. And they're really intent on hammering it in because it's throughout the entire movie they yeah repeat it over and over. Dunham specifically, it's like I can't tell. Like a lot of this movie, okay, this movie is almost ninety years old. It's hard for me to pick up on the tone of a lot of it. And I've been told that this movie is actually supposed to be like satirizing the sexism and the ridiculous over the top Carl Carl is it Denim or Dunham? I think it's Denim. His over the topness, his like being a director who like will do anything for the shot. I can't tell if when I watch it, it feels like the movie is completely unaware of how horrible all that stuff is. But I've heard both. I don't think it's satirizing it. Um, I think they are completely unaware. And I, I don't want to bring Son of Kong too much into it. I think some people kind of pointed out some of the flaws in this movie and Son of Kong. They tried to address some of those things, but still, I think overall, they're not aware. Apparently, Denim was based on Cooper, and Jack was based on Shodzik, the two directors. Interesting. And I, hearing about them, reading about them, I don't think they were aware or were trying to do anything subtle. I think they just, Cooper just wanted to make a movie about a giant fucking ape that steals a woman. I think okay. that's basically it. So, in that case, yeah, like, not only is that the last line of the mu- movie, like, twas... 
"'Twas Beauty killed the beast." Like, dude, you killed the beast, and no one's arresting <laughs> you. I don't know why. Yeah, and you're nobody's... literally just saying to the cops, "Like, hey, I'm the problem. Let me through." And then they let him through, and then he's like, "It was, it was Beauty that, like, what, what do you?" And then, okay, the lot when all these reporters are there, and they're in like a crowd, and they're all trying to take pictures of a giant ape that's about to smash the city, and he's like. Beauty and the Beast, that's your line, that's your angle. It's like, n- no, dude, that's not the angle. The angle is there's a giant fucking ape here. <laughs> yeah, the I angle is, is a 30-foot fucking tall gorilla that's nothing like anybody has ever seen. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I got, I figured out a way to spin this so it'll really grab people. Beauty killed him. It's like, what? That That is one of the most frustrating parts of the entire thing. Okay, so before we go into uh, specifics of, like, effects or, or the narrative, like, overall, besides what we've said, do you have, what are your overall thoughts and feelings about, about this movie? Well, first of all, what's your history with this movie? Have you seen it before, seen it recently? So I used to, I definitely watched this movie as a kid, like it was on TV. Like, I very clearly remember the part on the island where they put Anne in the, like, handcuffs and Kong comes. I remember for sure watching that as a kid. Yeah, so I don't know if I just saw snippets, because it's hard. Like, the last scene is all over the place. It's replayed all the time. So I don't remember if I sat through and watched the movie five times as a kid, or if I literally just saw that first scene a couple times. I don't know, but... Um, I assume that this is basically the first giant monster movie I ever saw. And then since then, I hadn't watched it in forever until I watched it uh, a couple times in the last couple weeks in preparation for this. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure I saw it as a kid. I've done a lot of drugs and alcohol, so my memory is pretty non-existent. Good thing I'm here. Keep things (laughs) crystal clear. I seem to remember... uh, Specifically, like, the stuff from uh, the New York City, the final act. Honestly, I think my best memory of King Kong is I, th- I think there was a, a Muppet Baby episode where they parody the um, the hand coming through the window and grabbing the the woman that isn't Andara. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. I, I think there was an episode that did that. Maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, I, d- I didn't remember this movie much at all. So, um, but now within the past week, I've seen it three and a half times. So, nice. but yeah, I thought, I think this movie is a complete fucking blast. Um, I absolutely loved it. Every, well, I won't say everything about it because uh, racial stereotypes don't love misogyny, don't yeah. love. Uh, but I mean, just setting like that critique version of my mind aside and just like going along with the ride this movie is just a complete fucking blast i mean i watch my fair share of older movies and i generally see like yeah i can understand why the pacing on this might not hold up to a lot of modern audiences who aren't used to this type of pacing but this movie i think most people even today could 90 years later could still get quite enjoyment out of it it's just a really amazing movie in my opinion totally yeah it it really does fly especially compared to some of the other older movies we'll be talking about soon or i'm assuming like it really the pacing is very fast 
I watched it alone and then I watched it with my roommates and it was definitely like more grabbing than I would have thought a 90 year old movie would be for everybody. We were all in, I mean, a lot of it was, we were just laughing at the over the top problematic stuff. That's just like (laughs) mind blowing. So that like, that adds an entertainment value now because it's not like, it's so over the top that now if this exact same movie was made now, it would be a parody, but because it's not, yeah, but it like. But, like, so I'd been watching a lot of the, like, Showa-era Godzillas and, like, Rodan, Mothra, that stuff before this, the Toho movies. And, obviously, just because of the budget and stuff, the different techniques they use, the effects are incredible for 1933. Like, they're mind-blowingly awesome. No, yeah. I mean, I was talking to you, you know, shortly after watching it, I watched the uh, Skull Island from a few years ago. And the effects in this is just so much more fun to watch than than the cgi in skull island for me anyways i just i loved watching all the effects in this it was just so visually appealing which it it, there is a real magic to it that i just don't get from watching you know cgi video game cut screens totally Uh, yeah it and it feels i mean the fights are just extremely dynamic compared to like pseudimation the like there's a weight to it that cgi doesn't have i mean i still am gonna prepare or still i'm gonna prefer the like i'm i don't like shout at the screen yeah when like kong is like punching another like clay dude or whatever or like <laughs> they're not clay but you know what i mean like the stop motion guy whereas there's something about like kong skull island where like uh, when a tree flies into a helicopter i'm like screaming and like standing up out of my seat so it's just different but i do think that this has a lot of stuff that's missing from modern stuff and that i like the pseudimation and the models of godzilla stuff better in some ways because i really like how they show like destruction i think that's easier to show like smashing things not in stop animation but as far as beast on beast fights this is like the peak this is just awesome yeah, I mean, um, you know this. Audience doesn't know this. The non-existent audience. I'm a huge horror guy, and one of my favorite eras is the '80s, which is when like practical effects is really at its peak before they started introducing CGI. So I'm just a huge. I love practical effects. Uh, that will always be a selling point to me. And just seeing this early, you know, it's 1933. That's such an insane year to have to look at all these effects that they're coming up with. Uh, totally to make this movie and it's just i don't know there's always been something really magical to me about practical effects and these people that come up with these incredible ways to make this to make these movies happen totally and i think one of the reasons that even though we're planning to talk a lot more about like godzilla and and kaiju and stuff in this series that it made sense to start with this if not earlier with like the lost world is because um Subaraya, the effects dude from most of like the from like the first half of the Godzilla uh movies was directly inspired to be an effects creator because of the effects in this movie and I feel like like so many of the movies that we watch today would not exist without this movie it was just fucking pivotal you know yeah I mean coming up soon we're gonna have a couple movies that Harry Housen worked on and he was obviously hugely influenced this influenced by this to the extent that he worked under willis o'brien so as far as monsters and effects how did you like the i know a big thing in giant monster movies is like how are they gonna lead up to and reveal the monster you know what i mean how do you feel they did with kong 
I thought it was great. I loved it. So this is one of the first releases from Criterion, and their commentary track for it is considered the first ever commentary track. In that commentary track, he mentions that Marion Cooper was obsessed with the three Ds, which was uh, dicks, dicks, and dicks. Oh, wait. Drama, distance, and danger. And he was obsessed with delaying the reveal of Kong until until enough suspension has been built up. And apparently, studio head Selznick wanted him wanted the movie to start off with Kong, and lots of other people wanted the movie to start off with Kong. But Cooper was insistent that Kong not be revealed until you know, a good portion of the movie to build up just this myth of what this creature is. And I think it works great, just uh, um, especially when they first get to the island and then there's that ceremony that's being uh, done by the natives, which is rules, is one of my favorite parts of the movie. And it just builds up, builds up this mystery of what this deity is that these people are worshiping and sacrificing someone to. And, and totally. Then, I don't know if the initial reveal of Kong is the best. That's kind of one of the uh, lesser kind of effects, and it it doesn't pull it off pull off as well as some of the other effects in the movie. He kind of looks a little goofy when he first appears, but um, it's still awesome. I still love it. I totally agree. I think that like it starts off with like we're doing this thing. Like you're kind of in the place of Anne, where you're like, where are we going? Why are we going there? Are we going to this island? Why? What's there? And then like. You hear, have you ever heard of Kong, native superstition? Okay. Then you see like the scene where he's like, pretend you're looking up and you're afraid and it's like cheesy, but she's like acting for the first time. And and they're like, I wonder what he's looking at. Like they built it with so many little touchstones and we get there and you're right. It's like this, what is this huge ceremony in this wild place for? What is this gong for? And I can see what you mean with the goofiness, but I, th- I don't know. I love that that shot. It really at least shows the scale. Like, it'd be one thing if Kong was just alone, but they knew to have her in the foreground and him behind so that you could see the scale of how big Kong is, right? Because um, that's the first time you see him, right? Yeah, it is. And I I enjoyed it. It's just kind of, I just want to hug the I want to hug the guy. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. I just, just want to cuddle with him. But, I mean, they really did the right thing with delaying it. I think that that's... It's one of those weird things where, like, back in the day, like, you knew from the poster, but, like, we didn't know that, I don't I don't know, it's like a trope they still use because it works so well. In almost every giant monster movie, I like it better if the giant monster is built up to. Even though I, there are 35 Godzilla movies, in Godzilla 2014, when it slowly builds up really well, it's, like, makes it scarier and bigger. And in this, this was even before giant monsters were that much of a thing so it's it was a super good call and i i think it 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 works super well i want to talk about the individual things that kong fights but like first skull island itself i thought skull island looks fucking awesome like when they roll up and it's that matte painting like from afar and then the gate and everything i i just love all of that it goes from like New York City streets suddenly to that, like to the ship and then suddenly to that. And I just think it, it, they pulled it off so well. The design is sick. What did you think? Yeah, I agree. And the way it kind of introduces the island after like they've been going through this deep fog that they've never seen any fog like yeah. it. And all of a sudden, this giant skull island with this walled off area. It's, it's very cool. One thing I did not realize when watching it is that, uh, until watching with the commentary 
is that one of the eyes in the skull is uh, King Kong's lair. And that had At the not end. occurred to me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I really like that Jurassic... Like, the first time I watched it again and saw the gate, I was like, oh, that's the gate from Jurassic Park. They clearly got that... Do you know what I'm talking about? It looks like the gate to the entrance of Jurassic Park, the gate yeah. that they... And then I just watched Jurassic Park, and it was... Not only did they clearly steal it, but Jeff Goldblum's like, what do they have back there, King Kong? Um, so I thought that was pretty great. <laughs> well, that gate was actually... Um, it was left over from Cecil B. DeMille's uh, King of Kings, which is... 1926 i want to say and uh i guess cooper was like wandering around late at night and he saw king veter was shooting a movie there i can't think of what the movie was and he saw that and he had actually cooper had not planned to have a native village there but that he saw that that big gate and he decided wow that'd be really neat to have something kind of to have the the ape walled off yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Why is everything kings? I mean, apparently people love monarchy. I don't know that's what to tell you. Friggin' weird, man. This is goddamn America. Um, <laughs> okay, are you down to, uh, as far as monsters and effects, are you down to talk about each of the, the, the different monsters he fights? Yeah. What's your favorite? What's oh. your favorite? Go. Uh, okay, my favorite fight is the T-Rex. Well... My favorite thing is the pterodactyl lifting Anne up in its talons. And my favorite just design or to, one to look at, I think, is the Stegosaurus. It's friggin' sick. Yeah, um, I think you're not giving enough credit for the uh, Brontosaurus emerging from the water. The Brontosaurus uh, is cool. That's just, like, that's what I remember from being a kid. So, I don't know. It's been in my head for so long that these ones kind of caught me off guard. But I was waiting for the Brontosaurus. And also... It's kind of weird. One of the neat things about the brontosaurus is because they can't animate the water, they had to make like an actual mechanical three foot high brontosaurus head to emerge from water. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, it's, but yeah, I, I was a big fan of the brontosaurus, especially when he flips one of the guys up and eats him. Yeah, like totally. That. And I love that the dude decides, first of all, I love that almost everything he's fighting is like a, a herbivore that's just eating things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, the brontosaurus, and then the dude is, this dude's running from a long-necked brontosaurus and climbs up a tree and just gets <laughs> eaten immediately. Like, duh, dude. It's like, how I'll, I'll hide at the height of his teeth. It's just so funny to me. <laughs> We talked about this before, but I just recently found out that that brontosaurus is responsible for, like, the entire the modern field of cryptozoology. What? I thought you were going to say for the death of, like, three men. But, uh... <laughs> so... What the hell are you talking about? That's even weirder than I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Loch Ness Monster. Was a thing in Scotland vaguely before 1933 but was never described as looking like we think of it today with the long neck and stuff. The first time it was described that way was right after King Kong came out in theaters in Scotland. And later, the guy who first described it that way, seeing it that way, admitted that he had, was literally on his way home from seeing King Kong. Loch Ness Monster is generally considered the first, like, cryptid of the modern era of, like, what we think of as cryptozoology. So everything after that was people 
copying this dude because Loch Ness is one of the ones like I don't know Sasquatch might be real all these other things but Loch Ness is like very very fake in my opinion like the things that people latched onto, the people admitted they were lies later or their kids admitted and that came directly from the shape of it and everything came directly from someone seeing King Kong driving home and then saying that to the paper bullshit <laughs> Nelly is or Nessie is real Nelly is real too St. Louis represent uh, Nessie is fucking real and you can Stop this bullshit coming out of your mouth. I'm sorry, you're right. You're right. Anything else with the Brontosaurus before we talk about other ones? No, I just thought you were ignoring him, and or it made me it made me sad. I'm sorry, I was not ignoring. I was just trying to think of favorites. Um, I think the the Stegosaurus is friggin' sick. I do not like that he's taken down with guns. It doesn't make any sense no. to me. And, and I, although I do think it's very funny when he's like lying on his side bleeding out and then they're just like oh he's still alive unload some more <laughs> right into his head it's brutal yeah. it is absolutely brutal i also love that like they're first introduced to dinosaurs and they're just like let's fucking shoot him unload <laughs> yeah totally and which to me is like i don't think they did this on purpose but it's a nice balance where it's like like there's all these reasons i already don't care if these men get eaten like they're capitalists. They're going to a island that people are saying white men have never been to before. They're like, let's go make a movie. They're like, whatever. They're intruding on the indigenous people's land, all this stuff. But in the movie context, them shooting the Steggy, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see these people get eaten. You know, yeah. I think, I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but it, it gives a nice little right in your face. Like, these people just shoot herbivores in the face. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's fucking get ready for them to die. I also think it's funny that uh, Denim is, like, so intent on bringing King Kong back when it's like, yeah, yeah King Kong's amazing, but, like, we have gorillas. This is, like, a ridiculously insane huge gorilla, but, like, you could bring home a fucking dinosaur. That seems That's more incredible. Such a good point. These, what? There's fucking dinosaurs alive. And, like, he doesn't even, and, like, yeah, the Kong is, like, about the same size as a lot of those dinosaurs, but yeah. the natives aren't, like, doing anything about... They, they're they not saying the walls for that. They're not banging a gong for them. Like, what is going on? I didn't... <laughs> like, it's very clear that Kong was the story. This is my guess, but it feels like Kong was the story, and they're like, oh, we need more action. Let's throw dinosaurs in there and not talk about how that affects the humans' story. Yeah, well, so Marion C. Cooper, I guess when he was a kid... He read a book about monkeys or something like that, and he read about this uh, these tribes of baboons, I think it was, that they would like go and kidnap women or something from yeah. uh, villages. And he just became obsessed like his whole life about these monkeys, and like it was a recurring motif throughout his life where he he was basically an adventurer type of person, and he'd just always get obsessed with different monkeys and. Uh, yeah, so this was the movie he wanted to make. He wanted to make a movie about a monkey. and Totally. And uh, when he saw Willis O'Brien's... Uh, Lost World. Oh, yeah, Lost World, he he saw, like, an opportunity. So it's nice. probably a, a combination of seeing Willis O'Brien's dinosaurs and his lifelong passion of uh, a giant monkey stealing a woman. Yeah, that's a friggin' weird passion when you have the control <laughs> to make dinosaurs exist, too. Like, don't get me wrong, I love Kong, and I'm glad, I don't know, I, I, 
I like the idea of having a monster be something that doesn't exist. It's more fantastical and fun, but also like, yeah, why the fuck weren't they? Yeah. It makes no sense. Um, even like the bones of that Stegosaurus, they could have immediately been like, we will be the richest people. <laughs> yeah. Like we'll be so famous. Let's just grab these bones and go. Like, okay. Speaking of monsters, did you notice the skull crawler? I did not realize that was a skull crawler until, I don't know, I was like reading on a forum or something and someone pointed out that, Hell yeah. that or maybe I was listening to something, I don't know. Then someone pointed out that that was supposed to be the skull crawler that appears in Kong Skull Island. Yeah, I had, so. I had no idea because that just looks like a big ass gecko to me. Yeah, totally. So in Kong Skull Island, when I first watched it, for people who haven't seen it or even whatever, the main like antagonist beasts are these like weird kind of giant lizard looking things with their skulls exposed on their heads who only have two legs. And I always thought that was kind of a weird design choice. I know it was heavily criticized that they only have two legs, but they were inspired by this small scene, this very short sequence where there's a two legged lizard boy thing on Skull Island in the original King Kong, and it's definitely different. Its head is totally different, but I really, I like continuity stuff like that. That makes me, that makes me appreciate the skull crawlers in Skull Island way more than when I thought that they were just like, let's make a random monster, you know? And oh, I like totally. that, that they didn't, it's cool because it's one of the only things on the island, besides maybe like the lizard snake thing, that's not like already something we know. It's also a new creation, you know? Yeah, I, um... I like I like Skull Island, and that made me that bumped my appreciation up for it. Same, same. Anything that shows that like you're they're paying homage or they paid attention at all just makes me happy. Even though it's like it's yeah. basically nothing. I love that stuff. All right, moving on to the biggest, baddest of all. What about the T Rex? What do you think of the T Rex? Uh, I was kind of rooting for him to be honest. <laughs> Why? Because we didn't see him steal a woman and terrorize a bunch of villagers? Well, that too, but I was just like, fucking T-Rex is cooler than Gorilla. That's true. Right? Well, that... I mean, Godzilla is indisputably cooler than King Kong. and well, Literally no one argues with that. No one on the internet argues that. No, it's I true. mean, unless they're really stupid. Yeah. Um, luckily, we don't have any stupid listeners, so... You can't have any uh, stupid listeners if you don't have any listeners. It's the beauty. It's... Yep, that's why we're never going to release these episodes. <laughs> um, so, so you liked the T Rex? What did you think of the fight? Uh, yeah, I thought the fight was awesome. Um, one of the most important uh, scenes in cinematic history, as it is the first kaiju wrestling match. Yeah. Uh, I, I apparently O'Brien and Cooper were both. I think it was. I don't remember it's Cooper or Shotzek, but they were both uh, uh, wrestlers and boxers. So they like they like went through like choreographing like the wrestling moves and uh, and yeah it's a straight up fucking wrestling match which yeah we uh, when we get to later kaiju movies there's going to be a lot of but yes. uh, this has to be the first one huh um, hell yeah and and yeah it's it's fucking brutal sh- we should point out that this movie was made pre-code which yeah. is basically the censorship code in Hollywood which existed at this point but it wasn't enforced by the studios yet until 1934 so a lot of times people will talk about pre-code movies and they're talking about movies that probably couldn't have been made during the censorship era of the Hayes code and i don't think uh like 
the end of the scene where he fucking rips his jaws apart and blood yeah. starts coming out. Like it's it's brutal. That is, um, I mean, I think if I pressed Control F on my notes for this movie, brutal would come up more than any other word. Like it is. Uh, there's so much brutal shit. I saw this back when we lived together. I saw this shitty hardcore band, and in between songs, at one point, the singer, being completely serious, just like yelled out, "This is brutality." <laughs> And that always runs through my head whenever I'm watching movies and a brutal scene comes up. And that played through my head a bunch during this movie. Yeah, like, not not only does he kill him by ripping the T-Rex's jaw open, he then plays with his jaw when he's dead. <laughs> it's intense. And then, I gotta say, the when Jack is walking through the forest a little after that scene, Kong is gone. And it's a long forest shot with the dead T-Rex in the back. I think that's the most beautiful and well done special effects shot of the movie. It looks so fucking good. And it just, I feel like you, like they tried to kind of do something like that with the Stegosaurus walking by it. But you can really tell they were scrolling past it at a different pace and angle than the people were walking in front of the screen or the green, whatever it was. But for this one, like, it, it goes from total brutality to, like, the most beautiful, serene shot. I freaking love that sequence. It's great. Yeah, the whole T-Rex part, that's known as one of the most uh, famous parts of the movie. And it's, I mean, probably after the the, the Empire State Building part, it's probably, like, the most famous part of the movie. And it, it, it deserves that status. It's Totally. It's a great fight. It's fucking brutal. God damn, that blood just pouring out of the mouth. Yeah, it's wild. And then... And then, yeah, that scene you mentioned when they're walking by and you just see, it's just a close-up of the, you just see the blood pouring out. Yeah, totally. One more monster thing I want to get to before we finally get to Kong, or maybe two. The lizard snake thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like a lizard with like a really long skinny body that like... Oh, the one in the cave? Yeah, like I almost felt like that was them trying to finally give us a little reason to be sympathetic with kong because like it goes after Anne for a second and then kong's like slamming it into the ground like gnarly like pretty awesome fight well i think the i think the t-rex was also kind of going after Anne. oh was it okay i th- think so like he heard or saw her on the tree and he started like walking a little okay. bit towards and then kong rears up and then the but pterodactyl yeah, too I... it's like three in a row that are going after Anne. Yeah, I think we're supposed to view Kong as uh, he's very protective and obsessed with Anne. Creepy fucking guy, a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, so let's let's go to that a little. Why does he want her? What is he doing? I, I mean, I guess, I mean, they mention that, do they mention it? That, that they're all like, the natives are all like amazed that she's like this, this white blonde woman. Yeah, the golden and, woman or whatever. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, I guess we're supposed, he's always had these black women given to him. I guess he's supposed to be just like blown out of his mind about a white woman. Yeah, (laughs) it feels very, well, first of all, I just want to clarify because I think of the villagers as they're clearly coded to be African, but they're supposed Mm -hmm. to be near Singapore. So it's very... I don't know what to call them. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, the actors are clearly, or I, I believe the actors are black. Yeah, that's a whole nother thing we'll get into when we talk yeah. about human stuff. But like, yeah, I mean, it's like, what is, is he just trying to play with her? Is he going to hang out? Like at one point, he's literally has her in his hand and he's taking her clothes off. Yeah. Like, 
it's very hard for me to think of the racist history of this movie and not think this has something to do with like the moral panic around black people who in a, a lot of history have been compared to primates in a way to like try to dehumanize them and i don't know that that's what they were doing but it feels like there's something about that in this especially because like a blonde lady i don't know <sighs> i i honestly think that they were just unsubtle people marion cooper had this lifelong obsession about these monkey tribes that would steal women but Obviously, he's a white guy working in white Hollywood, so the star actress of his movie has to be a white woman. I don't feel personally that there was coded racial stuff in in that specific dichotomy of the, the monkey and the white woman. But obviously, it definitely plays like that, as well, well, and... as, like, as, well as like the natives stealing her. It's like yeah. uh, for, uh, kidnapping her. It's like, oh, exactly. the black... The, the black people coming for our white women. It's, it's obviously does not play very well. But yeah. I, I, I don't think that that was like a choice and I don't think it was, I, I just mean this dude read a lot of stories in his life and he mm-hmm. became obsessed with a certain story. And there's some reason that he's obsessed with that story and we're never going to figure it out, but it all led to this thing that looks extremely and is in a lot of ways <laughs> racially charged, especially for the time. So it's just interesting. Again, I don't think they're trying to make some statement about that, but I do think that like a lot of the institutional racism that we deal with is just from like cultural patterns and shit. And that, the fear and shit was playing into those patterns and wasn't pushing against those patterns at all, if that makes sense. 100%. Yeah, for sure. Totally. But yeah, they're taking the clothes off. Like, what are we supposed to think he's he's trying to do? Well, well, back to that first. I guess some people have argued that this movie is meant as like a metaphor about the dangers of interracial marriage. And I really do yeah, not think that they had that in mind when they were making it same same um, i don't i think it's more uh it's more subconscious than that yeah yeah i mean one thing i gotta say is i like i said this movie is almost 90 years old so i was like oh man this movie's so old and then i realized that all of my grandparents are older than this movie and they're all still alive which is crazy and i realized like i've had political debates with most of them and i'm like i need to give them a break like this is like, <laughs> you're older than this this is totally normal and now i'm like what like i don't know i just can't even like <laughs> like i don't know it's crazy <laughs> like i just can't imagine being alive when this was just a movie that was out like i don't know <laughs> Huh. Yeah, all my grandparents are dead, so... Sorry. No, I Way mean... to bring it down, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, if this was the type of media they like to consume, then maybe they deserve to die. <laughs> Jesus <Fucking> racist. Christ. <laughs> okay. Anyway, do, do you have any idea, like, do you think that the people who made the movie have a thought as to what King Kong would do with her if he was left alone? Like, were they just going to hang out? Or, like, I, it never even occurred to me until I was watching it with my roommate. And she was like, what is he going to, what does he want? Like, yeah. And I don't know. I I don't know. But that goes back to what I was asking earlier. Like, what has he done with these brides in the past? Like, yeah. has he just eaten them? 
I mean, maybe this is the same way he's treated all the brides in the past, but there just wasn't rescue crews going out to, to rescue them. Also, we're assuming, right, that because this looked like a tradition and a ritual that they're constantly giving him brides, but we don't know for a fact that that one wasn't their first time being like, hey, let's give him a bride. That's true. Of course, if this was reality, them just happening to stumble upon the ceremony would be... Oh yeah, that'd be the craziest coincidence in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Also, I mean, I bet there was just like, okay, we've given him like 50 husbands and he's not reacting well. Let's try giving him a bride. <laughs> That's when they showed up right then. <laughs> Imagine well, if they had to just... give him Jack. <laughs> that would be a better movie. They're like a golden man. <laughs> oh, God, I can't even. Add... Okay. Jack and Jack and Kong would have been a very problematic duo. I think they would have gotten along a lot. Very much better. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think Kong would have been like, damn, man, you really hate women. <laughs> Kong treats women so much better than Jack. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So, do you want to? Is this a good time to just talk about Kong in general? No. Okay. What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about Kong specifically. Okay. Sick. <laughs> um, what specifically about Kong would you like to talk about, Charlie? Uh, the generality of his character. <laughs> Um, what do you what do you think of like the design and stuff? He looks fucking fantastic. This is goddamn nineteen thirty three. I don't know yeah. what you don't get about that. <laughs> Sorry, this... I keep forgetting. I mean, Willis O'Brien, who did all the or he led the team at least of all the special effects and the and the animation and stuff. Like this is insane coming out of nineteen thirty three. This yeah. looks so so good. And yeah, Kong looks amazing. What do you think of him? Like the way they, not necessarily the effects, but the way they chose to make him look like, like for instance, Peter Jackson's King Kong from 2005, he's basically just a big gorilla. But in this, he's like a humanoid with gorilla features. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. And then uh, King Kong versus Godzilla, whatever the Toho one is, he kind of looks more like a Sasquatch. Okay. Um, this is my favorite style of Kong. I like this kind of Kong. What about you? I I am I'm a fan of this Kong. I like this Kong. Hell yeah. This Kong's got it going. <laughs> I, I I I dig the Kong. I like the Kong. It it is kind of interesting that they for a long time after this the monsters we're making are limited by they have to have hu a human or humans in them. This one they didn't, but they still chose to make it kind of human like. Like a human could be in a suit shape like this. It's kind of interesting. I hadn't really thought of that. Yeah, that is uh that's a good point. I what do you think of the uh the like close up shots on his face? I think that the animation of his facial expressions and shit, like his nose and eyebrows and stuff moving are very impressive, but I don't actually think they always fit. It's almost like they wanted to show off how they could do facial expressions, but they do make him look a little silly and kiddy to me. Well the the close up shots, they were actually um it was like a huge mechanical head. Oh, not that. Had... That's, yeah, that's clearly okay. no facial expressions. But there's parts where, like when you first see him and you're saying he looks a little kitty, I, his nostrils are moving and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, the for the big head, that was okay. It was just so yeah. different. I um, I know some people don't like that. I actually did like that. 
the way I saw his character is that he was just a big goofy boy, yeah. and he's he's presented in this world where like all these people are coming after him. He doesn't know how to react to them, and then they take the one thing he likes, and all these dinosaurs are attacking him. But yeah. at heart, he's just like this big goofy boy. And when they do like the close-ups of that of his face, that's it's I guess it's a big mechanical head with six people inside of it operating it. Yeah, he has this kind of like smile on his face and. He yeah. just looks silly. And, like, every time he plays, he always plays with his dead. And, yeah, it's just like, he's just like, what's what's up with this? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, totally. He's, he's a curious, goofy boy. I, I mean, isn't that the story of most giant monster movies? Like, he, okay, he, him stealing the women, not, it's why I am Team Godzilla if I had to pick a team. If, But, otherwise, they're both just vibing. Like, Godzilla just wants to take a walk. Fucking Kong just wants to chill on his island and be a Kong. Like, we're the problem. We're just getting in the way, you know? Uh, that's totally true, but I just wanted to make one correction. Sure. You said, if you had to pick a team, there's no ifs about it. You do have to pick a team, and it better be the correct team. Okay. <laughs> team camera for life. Um, All right. Yeah, I thought the I thought the big mechanical hand that wasn't, you know, that, that was like the size to be able to hold and was really good. I thought the face was fine. I don't dislike it, but it was just fine. It's just, it, it's very clearly different. It feels a little Mm. bit like, like the head that would pop out if I was on like an amusement park King Kong ride in like the nineties. Whereas the other thing has so much life. It's a little stiff, but it's just like, and kind of like slowly moves towards the camera or whatever, but it's fine. I like, it didn't, I don't know. It's fucking 1933. It didn't take me out any more than the frame rate of the fights takes you out. You know what I mean? I want to go on that ride. Dude, yeah. What about when Kong attacks the village? What do you think of that sequence? I thought it was a great sequence. So one of the movies they did before this uh, showed Zack and Cooper. It was called Chain or something like that. They filmed it in a village in Africa somewhere. And uh, there was like all this wildlife shit that they they orchestrated. With, like tigers and stuff like that. And they orchestrated, I guess, a stampede. Um, of, I think, I want to say like 20, maybe it was 10 elephants. Yeah, I think it was 20. And it, the elephants, I guess, basically like trampled an entire village so they could film their fucking movie. Jesus. Um, uh, and I guess that this was partly based off of that. Okay. Um, but overall, it was a really cool sequence. Um, this, when we first see his brutality, uh, extended towards humans where he's, just straight up just picking these people up and just chewing yeah. them and slamming them on the ground and fucking and stomping on their them. faces into the yeah. mud over and over. Ugh. Apparently the actor, the actor that was stepped on didn't know that they were going to have like a giant foot step on him. Oh my God. And he became like terrified. <laughs> he was after this giant foot just came down like fucking oh my God. on top of him. But yeah, that, that sequence is great. And it's really just, it really drives home something that I don't think the filmmakers were picking up on, in that Carl Denham's a real piece of shit. This yes. is all because of fucking him. Oh, it's all because of him, yeah. Bullshit motivation of just, I gotta make a great picture show. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, they do address it in Son of Kong, but I feel like... They address it in Son of Kong because someone pointed out, like, I, there's been no repercussions for Carl Denham throughout the entire movie. They address, 
that the villagers wouldn't like him. But they don't yeah. address that the villagers should matter. That's like, true. Like, the end of the film, we don't... <laughs> When, we'll get into that when we talk about Son of Kong, but I was actually thinking the opposite of like, you all did not learn any lessons if Son of Kong was supposed to be correcting things. Cause that... Right, right. I don't think you learned lessons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think some people pulled him aside and it was like, you do realize that Car- Carl Dunham kind of acts like a complete piece of yeah. shit throughout this entire movie, right? Totally, totally. Because throughout this movie, you're supposed to be on Carl Dunham's side. Like, he's... He's supposed to have like a certain charisma he's supposed to get into, and yeah. nobody's mad at him, and yeah. you're supposed to see him as as a, a figure that you're supposed to sympathize with to some extent, um, which is and... mind boggling <laughs> today. Like I, I mean, hate like him. I said, <laughs> like I said, apparently he was largely based off on Marion C. Cooper himself. Yeah, totally. Um, I thought that sequence was amazing. I mean, it's really fucking brutal, but I thought the effects of Kong pushing through that gate looked so good. Like, I actually don't know how they did that. It didn't look like a miniature. I, it was, it must be, I don't even know. It just looked so good. And the spears being thrown from the thing people are standing on and going into his body when he's not even technically there was fucking awesome. Like, I don't even yeah. know how they did it. That's really cool. I mean... Willis O'Brien, he's uh You can't just drop names and that that answers how they did it, bro. Willis O'Brien, he's a magician. It's true. Goddamn wizard. He he makes it happen, buddy. Well, before we get off the island in our discussion, there's a couple things I realized I wanted to mention that I forgot from earlier with Kong specifically. Mostly the scene where he's shaking the tree that people are on and they're falling off. That, to me, is like one of the best effects in the in the movie it looks so cool even though he's clearly like slightly different grayscale than they are do you know what i'm talking about where he's standing he's yeah. holding it and they're all falling off i just thought it looked so good and it was like the best integration of the humans and kong but also you were talking about pre-code and how this is like how the studios didn't enforce their own stuff they did in that scene do you know what, you know what i'm talking about yeah are you talking about the spider pit? Yeah, where they all, like, so the, in the movie, it's already brutal. Like, six dudes fall off and die. But in the original, a bunch of beasts were supposed to come down and eat them. Um. So it's not that that was uh, censored. It's that they play that to an audience, and Cooper thought that it stopped the film cold. Because oh. people, people were, like, horrified, and uh, lots of people were were walking out. Damn. Um, and that's why he decided to cut it. And apparently Willis O'Brien considered that some of his finest work ever, and he was pretty pissed off that it was cut out. Have you um, seen that, because um, that footage is lost apparently, but Peter Jackson tried to do a recreation of it? Um, no, I've not. It's online. It looks pretty good. Like, it looks, I don't know how they did it, but it looks very much like the original film, and I, it looks fucking cool. You should, mm. and everybody should check it out. That sounds pretty cool. I, I haven't seen his King Kong either. It's uh, It's long. <laughs> i mean aren't most of his movies yeah i i just well whatever we'll talk about that movie another time i <laughs> i i think it's probably fine it was forgettable to me in theaters but not bad before moving on from peter jackson I just <laughs> want to say dead alive is his greatest movie let's let's move on all right let's move on anything else you want to talk about effects and monster wise on the actual island i love king kong's roar i guess they, they got the it? 
I was just about to say that. Do you really not know? Or I don't you... know. Um, apparently, they went to a zoo and the gorillas weren't really doing anything. But they <laughs> went on. to the lion pit and they recorded the lion's roars. They reversed it and dropped an it dropped it an octave, and okay. that became his roar. And you know what the lion is, right? Me, king of the jungle. All oh, these kings, shit. dude. I'm freaking out. Hey, I mean, yeah, an anarchist's worst nightmare. <laughs> Pretty much any modern person's worst nightmare, but... Well, I mean, maybe not if you're uh, English. That's true. They love that shit. They're, not a single person in England is uh, critical of the the royal family. That's. I think Americans like the royal family more than <laughs> British people. So That's just because we like watching other people suffer. Um <laughs> Oh, I thought uh, Gas Bomb is going to beat Kong. One Gas think... Bomb is going to beat Kong. And people think that this guy can beat Godzilla? It's fucking radioactive breath? Come on. It's so stupid. I was like, oh, he has all these gas bombs. I'm sure they'll throw 80. And it was like, one gas <laughs> bomb. He's down. Okay, we've never seen anything this big in the history of the human <laughs> race, but I think cer this certain amount of time is how long he'll be out. Quick, let's get him on the boat. How did they get him on the boat? Yeah, I and then they get to New York City, and they they put steel bars around him. Like, why not have some, some people there staying with gas bombs in case anything goes wrong? Like, what the fuck? That's true. So him being in the chains is, to me, the part where we're supposed to sympathize with him the most. To me, that's yeah, like, definitely. and him breaking the chains and the rich people fleeing is my favorite <laughs> part of the movie. It's just so dope. Yeah, I mean, uh, Cooper and Shodzak, they seems very apparent that they were not fans of uh, the idle rich. Mm. Um, I mean, the the rich people in this movie that just you see like some little interactions with them before Kong yeah. is revealed, and they all just seem like a bunch of snobby assholes. And I do think that, I mean, these people were they were uh, Chozak and uh, Cooper. They were two guys that you know they lived for adventure. They they saw themselves as adventurers, and they just loved adventure. And so I think they probably did not have a good view of these people. So I think that's. That's one thing that they were correct on in terms of their social views. And, I mean, I was going to bring this up later, but it seems like a good time. Like, this is this movie takes place in and came out oh, during yeah. the peak of the Great Depression. So that yeah. makes the whole thing of these rich people who, they it says it's $20 a ticket and that they made $10,000 that night. So that's 500 tickets, right? The people are like, oh, are we going to see a picture show? And they're like, no, it's more of a... <laughs> It's more of an exhibition. I don't remember what they say, and I can't do a mid-Atlantic accent. Um, but they're, like, paying a shit ton of money while people are starving to see something, and they don't even know what it is. Like, yeah. it, it very clearly, to me, does seem negative. Like, fuck them. While people are starving, while people are agreeing to go on adventures, they have no idea what it's about, and end up being put in giant monkey hands. Yes, totally. Um, yeah, so watching them flee is great. And then him going through the city is great. I don't really get a few parts before the Empire's stipulating. I don't get why he just reaches into the the room, grabs the wood, and just drops her. That's fucking gnarly. I think it's supposed to be he thinks it's Anne, and then he reaches in and grabs her, and then he realizes it's not Anne. He's just like, well, fuck this. Okay, but then also, like, how did he find Anne? 
she screams a lot. <laughs> her scream is pretty noticeable. I don't think she was screaming, but I'll give it to you. Um, okay, and then we have the <laughs> Probably classic... Probably cut around it. The classic Empire State Building ending sequence uh, where Beauty finally conquers the beast. Um, I don't know what to say about it. What'd you think? I thought the planes conquered the beast, personally. <laughs> I think that's a pretty superficial take, Charlie. Obviously, <laughs> it was Beauty. You gotta look deeper. Um. Yeah, I mean... It's a great sequence. What can you say? First, yeah. you see that that silhouette of Kong climbing the building, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, it's just an awesome sequence all around. I mean, it's it's legendary for a reason. I don't. It's definitely. It's not my favorite part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, which I I know it's a lot of people's favorites. Obviously, it's the most known part. But yeah, it's just completely well done. It's it looks great. I, I don't know what to say, dude. What is there <laughs> to say about one of the most? Yeah. Yeah. Like iconic. <laughs> things it's, ever it's shot iconic for a reason it's it's a wonderful wonderful sequence um it's interesting to me that they make kong so they made him even bigger in new york city than he was on the island because he was around all the skyscrapers but still compared after we've been watching so many toho movies he looks so small climbing that building yeah apparently cooper kept saying like make him bigger make him bigger and he didn't care that his size changed throughout the movie it but works i guess Willis O'Brien didn't like it because he was a fan of consistency. Um, you can't even but, tell, like, honestly. Yeah, I, I think it, it works perfectly well. And I, I, it's not very noticeable um, unless you're really kind of trying to pay attention. Yeah, totally. Um, apparently the the plane that shoots him down, um, or the one that it does a close-up on the two people, that's the two directors of the movie because oh. they were... They were pilots. That's um, what they meant by Beauty Killed the Beast. They were just giving themselves a were, compliment. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was... Damn, we just got to the bottom of stuff hard. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was kind of funny that he even... I loved when he hits the plane out of the air because, you know, fuck humans and stuff. But, like, the... It's funny that they even got close enough for him to swing at. Like, it, I feel like maybe that's one of the reasons it doesn't work so well is it just all feels symbolic almost at that point like that's not what the, the mm. planes wouldn't get within arm's reach of him like it just feels also i don't think the police chief can just be like ah oh, planes that's a good idea and then a minute later the police chief calls a bunch of planes in, <laughs> in the great depression when yeah. the country was falling apart and the dust bowl was ravaging half of the country there's just like yeah. six dudes sitting in uh in planes waiting for something yeah. to happen in New York City. Planes with machine guns. Yeah. Um, Police can just call planes? What the fuck? Cops have too much funding. I love... So, it's interesting that... I don't know. I don't know what to say about him putting Anne down and then Jack just appearing up there. We'll maybe get to that in the human stuff. But him falling off... I'm like fuck the fuck what what's happening. His body bouncing as he falls off the building to me uh reminded me a lot of Propeller Man from uh Titanic. There's a famous sequence where the ship leans up and a body falls a guy jumps off or falls off the back and then hits the propeller it's like bong and I I very much now think that that was an homage to King Kong. Just saying. Very possible. I don't remember it cuz uh you're not into uh, cinema. Fine art. I'm not into cinema. <laughs> I did see Titanic in theaters when it came out. That's the only time I've seen it. You nasty boy. And I saw it with my uh, my Mormon friend and his family. And because his mom and sister were obsessed with it. 
The only thing I really remember is that his mom made us cover our eyes in the during the nude scene. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I think that whole sequence looks great. I don't know how they made his body bounce like that, but I think it looks fucking awesome. And I definitely, by the end of the movie, hate the, the city and Denim and the rich people so much that I'm not thinking of Kong as the, the woman stealer I was thinking of before. I'm thinking of him as like this tragic figure in a world he doesn't belong in dying. And at the end of the movie, I'm definitely like, uh, just like a lot of um, Ashira Honda's movies, I'm like fully sympathizing with him at the very end. I don't know about you. Uh, no, 100%. I mean, you say you don't think about him stealing women. He can be a flawed, tragic figure. Sure. He, Very flawed. Uh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, he, he... All he wants... All Godzilla wants to do, or all King Kong wants to do, is chill out on Skull Island and wrestle some fucking dinosaurs. Which, by the way, he must have a very exhausting life because <laughs> every twenty he fights feet. like six dinosaurs in this movie, and you have to imagine that that happens on a regular occasion. <laughs> like, yeah, damn, I've never fought one dinosaur, <laughs> and this guy fights like five a day, probably. I mean, I'm just saying, just like with the the um trying to give him a bride we can't jump to conclusions this he this could those could have been the only six dinosaurs it's <laughs> <laughs> just a big coincidence i'm just kidding you're right it uh, i i can't see like what does he eat does he just eat dinosaur carcass like what does he it's a good point all right so monsters and effects we talked about most of it we didn't really talk about the pterodactyl but i don't know how much there is to talk about monsters effects or anything that you want to talk about at all before we start talking about the more human elements of King Kong 1933. Let's talk about that pterodactyl. <laughs> okay, so it's basically Rodan, but... but I haven't seen Rodan. Oh, you're in for a treat. Rodan's a well, pteranodon. I mean, I saw... This is a pterodactyl. Same family. Gotcha. I, I did see Rodan in uh, uh, Ghidorah. In, was, is that the one he's in? Yeah, he's in Ghidorah yes. and... Invasion of the Astro Monster. Yeah, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. Yeah. He, is he in... Oh, yeah, he is in uh, Invasion yeah. of the Astro Monster. He's way cooler in the original Rodan. But I digress. Oh, man, I can't wait to sing the Rodan song to you that I wrote in, while driving to work. Um, oh, I thought you meant that there was a a Rodan song. No, I, I wrote that's it. That's one of the things I loved about watching through so many of those movies, how many of them have awesome songs in them. I mean, the Kong yeah. song in this was fucking awesome. Oh, you mean the one that's like, uh, Kong, 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 let me see that Kong. No, no. Hit that Kong, 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 Kong. Kong, and then they beat their chest. Oh, 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 yeah. Awesome. That, the other Kong song. Got it. I listen to the Mothra song like once a day. It's good. It's good. And it changes all the time in every movie. Almost. I know. Uh, I, I there's not like a recording on Spotify, the one from uh, King Ghidorah, um, and that's very sad because I like that one a lot. The one that I have stuck in my head almost every day is the one. I think it's not from Mothra, but from Mothra versus Godzilla. It's the Mothra, yeah, Mothra. Yeah, that's from Mothra. I mean, it might be from both of them, but it's, well, it's I feel Mothra. like in the, the original Mothra. Mothra, it's like Mothra. It's like a little different. No, it does the it does the high pitch. Yeah. At the okay. End of it. All right. Cool. I know because I haven't seen Godzilla vs Mothra, and that's the song that I 
listen to. Oh. Anyway, did you want to talk about the overture? Oh, wait, you want to talk about the pterodactyl? What did you think? Oh, I was just bringing that up because you said there's not much to say. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, the pterodactyl is awesome. It's, it's really funny when he picks her up at this beat and it's just like up, down, up, down, up, down. Yeah. And then it's over. It's 1933. Give him a goddamn break. Um, That was on the cliff on Skull Island, which was kind of a cool set. But you were saying something funny about what happens on that cliff. Yeah, I just think it's hilarious that Jack comes out of the cave onto the cliff. He sees Anne. He goes to save her. And instead of doing the logical thing, which is I'm going to run back from where I came from. I, instead, he runs to the edge of the cliff where there's a vine hanging down, which... He would have had no way of seeing and no way of knowing that that was just like a vine hanging super far down. And a vine would have no way of hanging there. Yeah. (laughs) He decides just to climb down with her. Makes no sense at all. Also, it makes no sense that she's not like, I'll climb this vine after you or before you. She's like, and she's not like, I will hold you piggyback. She's like, I am (laughs) just going to hold up, hang off of you the whole time. It's so stupid. Well, that seems like a good segue into the human elements. And I guess we should just talk about the uh, elephant in the room, the Kong in the in the jungle of uh, the incredible sexism in this movie. I wasn't sure if you were going to bring up uh, the sexism or, or Charlie or... Uh, Not everything's about you, Charlie. Uh, I disagree. And I um, think our audience will disagree as well. Yeah, I mean, this movie, I don't think the messages they're trying to say are misogynistic or racist or anti-poor people, but it definitely comes across that way in a certain ways. It's also anti-rich people at times, but like even the way that Denim finds her, where she's trying to steal to survive. Again, it's the Great Depression. She's trying to steal food. And he's like, hey, leave her alone. And then basically kidnaps her. It, well, like he's not like do you want to come with me or do you need anything he's like come with me into this place and he just brings her you know even before that uh it's very funny because he like he's like i need to find an actress and he goes to the women's missionary where there's this huge line of poor women and he's just like no none of these will do jesus and then he just immediately finds this beautiful woman <laughs> uh, shoplifting. Yeah. And I thought that whole sequence was funny because they make it up with that first little part that is going to be a challenge for him to find an yeah. actress. And then, like, he immediately finds her right after that. And also, it's just like, oh, all these all these gross poor people no 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 not yeah i'm gonna do <laughs> totally we need the one that looks like a hollywood actress who's trying to steal yeah. a piece of fruit or whatever it is which immediately makes me like anna i'm like oh fuck yeah you're shoplifting <laughs> you're yeah. the only good character we've seen so far <laughs> in this fucked up thing what is this thing <laughs> um, yeah you're right we haven't seen charlie yet exactly um, I mean, I don't know. Do you want to, do you want to talk about the stuff with Anne, or do you want to talk about Denim first? Uh, whatever. I mean, Denim. I mean, what you were just saying about Denim is interesting. Like, Denim is an absolute clown, and part of me has trouble thinking that some of it wasn't intentional. Like, oh, don't worry, everybody knows you're square, Denim. And then the next thing is him's like, 
uh, us finding out he has enough explosives to blow up the harbor and no one has any clue where they're going. Like, <laughs> how are they not making fun of him as a character? I just don't know. I can't grapple. I don't... The tone is so strange to me. I mean, I back in this era, there was this thing of people who were explorers. They were adventurers. And they would go, you know, to these areas that were untamed by the white man. And they would... They were manly and they would be... They would adventure to these areas. And... I think Carl Dent, uh, that's what Marion C. Cooper saw himself as. So he's like supposed to be like a Tom Cruise of that era, like a action hero. Like we're supposed to just be like, oh, this is a, a bigger than human man who does things we could never do. And so it's just cool that he's doing this. No. what? I mean, this was just a thing where there were people back then who were adventurers. Well, I, I don't mean that. I just mean that your average person couldn't do... Like, yeah, I get yeah. that there was a transition yeah. of... There was travel narratives that were the main adventurous thing, and then, f- like, people writing about far-off places, and then film came around, so Carl Denham would be, like, fill that role of the adventurer, but now it's slightly more tangible because we actually see evidence of what they're doing and stuff like that. But I just mean that sure. maybe the things that I'm taking as oh, we're pointing out how absurd and goofy and out of touch this guy is, might have been interpreted back then as, look how amazing and wild and out there and unapproachable to the average human what this guy's doing is. I see what you mean. I really think that this was what Marion C. Cooper envisioned himself as. Yes. This manly adventurer. And I don't think that we're supposed to see these what we see in a modern context is, which is an absurd and monstrous character. I think <laughs> he's supposed to be this admiral adventurer that we're supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. We're supposed to look up to. I see that. Yeah. I could see, I could definitely see that. Do you think that he, cause again, like I agree with you 95% of the way, but I, I feel like there's gotta be a little bit where like, I kind of feel like he goes through an arc, a little tiny, tiny arc like a speed bump of an arc like he goes to the island puts everybody in danger faces no consequences it's the most frustrating thing about the movie you're just like what the fuck but the only thing that i noticed is like at the end he says king is a god in the world he knew but now he's been brought to civilization and he starts to kind of feel for kong and to me that makes me think that there's a tiny bit of self-awareness on the part of the directors or the writers or this, whatever the production that yes, he is this guy who we're supposed to look up to and think is awesome, but also like every character has to have some flaw, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think he goes through an arc at all? Or do you think that's totally me or viewers in the modern day putting possibly putting a little bit of that on him? Um, I mean, I wish we had done this episode uh, before we watched Son of Kong. Yeah. Because it's hard to like put in my mind a cutoff place. Because in the context of the two movies, he definitely goes through an arc. Which is a, a pathetic arc. You say, don't you think I'm it's, sorry? It's, Shut the fuck yeah, up. But what, that's Son of Kong. We'll get there. It is interesting how Son of Kong makes this film look very different. Yeah. I mean, Cooper later said that his theme for the movie was that uh, something about like civilization beating off uh, 
speed enough. I was about to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, reel that one back or just keep it going <laughs> keep it going okay he said if he realized if he placed the giant gorilla on top of the tallest building on the world and had him shot down by the most modern of weapons the armed airplane he would have a story of the primitive doomed by modern civilization he said that, that was basically like the the deeper meaning of the film that he had in mind okay so maybe maybe that's not even denim going through an arc it's just yeah. them using denim as a mouthpiece for their moral or whatever. Yeah. Because all, all things do point to them not... The fact that he faces no consequences points to that, like, yeah. we're not supposed to think he needs to learn anything. And he just never seems very reflective on his actions at all. He's just like, ah, what do you know? Beauty killed the beast. Ah, it wasn't the airplanes. And yeah, like, like... What the... F- <laughs> it's like, you... you have a mentality where you want to go to a far off island to make a wild picture. You want to make a you want to make a bunch of money and you want to make something that will wow people, right? And then you go there and you find out dinosaurs exist still. <laughs> and nothing changes. You then bring part of it back. You bring Kong, the thing you found, back to the city. And you're still like, hey, let's get the reporters. Let's get all the money. Let's show off all the stuff. And it's not like, you're not humbled. You're not having an existential crisis. <laughs> pretty, pretty wild. And not only that, 12 people died who were yeah. under his employ. And he does not give a shit. Not only that, but he doesn't think that that means he needs to start checking in with himself about his idea of what's safe and not safe. Like, he tells yeah. all these people it's safe to go to the island, and they die. And then he's like, it's <laughs> safe to stand here next to this giant monkey in chains. Don't worry, Anne. We got plenty of fucking chains. <laughs> it's so safe that I'm not even going to have... On the sidelines, just in case, the one thing that I know definitely inca- incapacitates him. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking gas bomb. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say a banana. Uh, yeah, that was one of my complaints to the movie, is that we never saw Kong with a banana. It's true. It seems like a no-brainer. It's true. Dunham, clown. Probably no arc. Terrible man. <laughs> um, yeah. What do you think of Anne's character? Well, I wish she did not go on to marry Jack. I wish she did not fall for Jack. I did like her character. You know, she starts off shoplifting. Thumbs up. Thumbs um, up. Uh, hope nobody from my work listens to this. Uh, <laughs> we don't steal from our own jobs. We're, idiot- We're not idiots. I mean, I don't, but still just saying shoplifting thumbs up. Probably not the best. <laughs> but I liked her character overall. I wish she had more. I wish she was written better, written stronger, had more agency, I guess. Um, yeah. But she was one of the characters that I liked overall. And, I mean, she, from a personal standpoint of being a horror fan, she's one of the original Scream Queens, and I love me a Scream Queen. Um, of course, Scream Queens, as we tend to know them, are some of the strongest characters in the movies, and she is not one of the strongest characters in this movie. Also, uh, her screams in this movie are so fucking annoying after a while. It just keeps going and going and going. And that's nothing yeah. against her as a character. Like, I think of, like, her, Charlie, and the Skipper are the characters I think of as, like, kind of liking in the movie. Everybody else mm-hmm. I don't really, I either don't care or I dislike. But once she, once her only job is to scream, it's so annoying. Like, yeah, it's just so annoying. 
Well, you were talking about the thing with Jack. Let's let's go into the relationship with Jack. Fuck Jack, dude. Holy <laughs> shit. Could you write a more horrible character? First, he hits her in the face, and then he doesn't apologize. <laughs> Till later. Then he says, women are a nuisance. He says, stay below deck. He says, this is no place for a girl. He says, she's like, I haven't caused any trouble. He says, just being around's trouble. Then he says, women just can't help being a bother. Um, they're just made that way somehow. Like, how many lines do they have to give us to show? And, and then he's like, he, like, Denim's like, oh, don't go fall in love or whatever. And he's like, oh, you think I'd fall for a dame? <laughs> that was so weird. Like, wait, what? <laughs> and then literally, I'm going to put the line in here because it sounds made up. I'm going to put it in the edit. Say, I guess I love you. Why, Jack, you hate women. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's insane! It's so wild, and, like, like it, it feels like negging before negging was a thing. Like, yeah. he's just talking shit, and then suddenly they're on the island, and she's holding onto his arm before he's even <laughs> done anything. He hasn't like I get I yeah. would get it if you like trauma bonded over like being kidnapped by Kong, but it was before that even happened. Yeah. And then <laughs> they climbed on the vine, she's just holding on to him. They get back and they immediately just put a flask in her hand and kind of force her to drink alcohol. It's so weird, dude. Like I'm <laughs> flipping out. <laughs> Jack sucks, dude. I fucking hate Jack. Yeah, and once again, Apparently, his character is largely based on Shodzak, one of the two directors. <laughs> so they're probably not... It's just like Denim, they're just not self-aware. Yeah. I, it, watching through this through these has been such a weird thing. It's like, I first watched... I watched King Kong a couple times, and it's like, I, I don't... I can't tell if, there's, if they're aware of the politics, and I don't think they are, but maybe. And then I watched Son of Kong, and I was like, oh, maybe they are kind of more aware of the politics than i gave him credit for you know there's a, a communist revolution and the uh or not revolution but a, a proletariat mutiny and uh there's they address all the carl denton being shitty and then i watched this movie again with the commentary and they, they talk a lot he talks about a lot about the two directors and i'm like Oh no, I was completely wrong for even thinking I should start giving them credit and maybe yeah. there was some subtlety and yeah. they actually maybe had good politics. These are just shitty people with bad politics and I guess you could say they're of their era. Yes. Um, I mean, if you Yes, they very it, much are, but I mean, if you look at movies from the early 2000s, I'm embarrassed at what we thought was okay. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Even now. Yeah. So it makes sense that in the 30s, but it just Again, the fact that every line that's like this seems like a parody of what you would say if you want to make someone look terrible. And it's like, yeah, that's me. Like, it's just <laughs> kind of wild. Yeah, I can't believe the line, but Jack, you hate women. Like, <laughs> I, just, I can't believe that's part of it. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, like, not then even after she's captured, I think it is, Denim's like, well, we have to capture Kong. Like, after they get Anne back, le using Anne as bait? Isn't that the plan? Yeah, that's the plan, but then... They don't have to. Then, yeah, well, Jack steps up and says, No way, mister. That's not happening on my watch. If bucko. it was a random um, woman, of course I hate her, sure, but this is my <laughs> wife now. 
<laughs> You're gonna get away from my wife. Like it's just yeah. like Yeah, they fell in love really quick and she really had no reason to fall in love with him. I as, mean... as we'll see, that's a uh that's an ongoing theme with the Kong movies. He's not even like incredibly handsome i don't think he, he he doesn't strike me as someone who's like a great looking guy i mean he's not bad looking but I, it's just... I, I feel like he's pretty hot especially for the time but i think so okay i just think i think in general I mean, he's definitely hotter than denim but uh, even even, <laughs> even in like I a mean, real we're talking about an era era with like errol flynn who was who was like the the sex pot of the time true true um i don't know who that is i'm just saying true um i i think that to me her falling in love with him at the end does not surprise me because just being on a trip with somebody when you're in close quarters you can easily get a crush on them and especially after they save your life multiple times right i mean yeah that would completely make sense yeah but she falls in love with him before they even get to school island or she's yeah yeah it's getting it's, it's getting it's getting heat yeah um, and there's no reason to. I think there's two sets of non-white characters in the movie. I would like to talk about them if that's cool. Uh huh. Let's start with Charlie, your namesake. Mm-hmm. You're right. I was named after him. Yeah, the Chinese cook with uh such well-written lines as "Someday me go back China, never peel more potatoes." What do you think they were trying to do? Like, is that a comedic? Are they trying to have a comedic relief where it's like, ha ha ha, we're white and we're watching a movie where the Chinese guy has to peel our potatoes and he hates it. Yeah, I I 100% think he was supposed to be comedic relief. Just like, ha ha, look at these aren't Chinese people wacky. Uh, That's so um, intense. But uh, it's kind of funny because he is supposed to be this character that you're supposed to laugh at. But also, he's also one of the characters that kind of comes off positively. <laughs> like, yeah. His biggest part is where he discovers the, uh, is like a necklace or something like that um, made of teeth. So he realizes that yes. the uh, natives have been aboard. That was one of his big parts. And then he wants to like, he has his... A chef's knife and he wants to go after and two and they're all like this is nothing this is not business for a cook this is business for real men or whatever and yeah. they all get fucking murked but yeah no his character just seems to be there to comedic relief haha ha, aren't chinese people funny um, it's it's so weird to see that yeah i don't even know what to say about it it's just like the first scene is with him is so sad and it's supposed to be funny and i don't get He's just like, one day I won't have to do this horrible work where I serve all of you. Cue laugh track. Like, that's <laughs> so strange. I was just saying, I couldn't understand a lot of his lines. And I had no, I really did not want to understand his lines. So I don't think I even picked up on that. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, I watched it with subtitles. And the worst part of it is, there's no reason to peel potatoes. Just throw them yeah, in. Yeah. What the fuck? Just throw them in, dude. Okay. But isn't that, like, a thing that they always do with, like, military stuff is, like, peel potatoes, right? Isn't that, like, a... I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, we're gonna get into, <laughs> let's start our own Bon Appetit podcast. You don't need to peel potatoes, but most people do, because they're wrong. The real psychopaths, I, I mean, though, I don't. are the ones who peel carrots. Get out of here. Leave. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't 
do either. But yeah, what's up with that? Why do they always have like sailors and stuff like peeling potatoes? Like what the fuck? I don't know. Like in movies and stuff. Yeah, like it's always like a punishment for like yeah. uh, like the navy and stuff. They're like well, you're gonna go peel potatoes for the next five days because it's useless and like... makes the food worse and it hurts your arm. Okay. All right. So the indigenous folks, a lot going on there. So we already mentioned that it's supposed to be near Singapore, but they're clearly coded as African, which I'm assuming has something to do with the culture in 1933 and what people would think of as, like, scary or interesting indigenous people. I will say, very low bar. It's nice that they actually hired people of color, and it's not blackface, yeah. like some of the early Toho stuff. Even I was going to say, like, Mothra. <laughs> yeah, and, and not, yeah. Mothra, where they, like, just the... <laughs> least effort in blackface i've ever seen but it's like offensive for two people who like blackface it's so bad <laughs> anyway i was stoked on that i'm glad a bunch of i'm glad a bunch of black actors and people of color got roles in this even though they had to play these stereotypes that sucks but it's nice that it wasn't white people it was very strange that there was like this person that i thought of as the chief who they called the witch doctor? Did you notice that? Um, so like the chief like confronts them when they're coming up, uh-huh. and then another character comes up and says something to the chief. I think maybe that was supposed to be the witch doctor because I was looking at the credits, and there's someone credited as the witch king, and there's someone credited as the chief. Wait, there's a so, witch king? Yeah, which I assume is just the witch doctor. But the king is King Kong. I'm sick of this. All kinds of kings, baby. How many kings can we have? It's a goddamn king triarchy, Okay, baby. so, so, the, so the, it's called a monarchy, bro. Um, so, uh, the king, the king, oh. and the Holy Spirit. Okay, that makes more sense. It wasn't very clear from the setup in the I, I mean, that's... Who I know, I was confused about that too, but then I was looking at the cast list, and there's someone credited as the chief, and someone credited as the witch king. Gotcha. So, I assume that that's what they were referring to. Okay. And yeah, I mean, I don't have much else to say about them than what we've already said. We talked about how, obviously, they're sacrificing people, so they're portrayed as savages in a certain way, which fits with stereotypes of the time, and even now in media, but like also, our team that we're supposed to root for kills way more people than they do so yeah they're really not portrayed as horrible as i would expect them to be i guess um they also play somewhat of a heroic part where they like when kong is coming they jump up to like help like barricade the gate and stuff although obviously they would also be protecting themselves in that but it's kind of seen as they're jumping in to help out it's kind of what I feel like the filmmakers are trying to portray it as. For sure. Um, I was definitely expecting worse. Still yeah. Still not good. But... Totally. I was expecting worse, especially because Peter Jackson's, they're like, the natives are not, they're portrayed as like bloodthirsty savages, if I remember correctly. So it's really interesting that in 2005, they might've done a worse job. And then in Kong Skull Island, they did an interesting twist where I think they were trying to just be like, they're just chill. <laughs> yeah. Which... Has its own problems, but we'll get into that when we get into that. And then, yeah, the idea of maybe them kidnapping and plays into racial tropes, which it's it's impossible to say that it doesn't. Whether they consciously knew it did or not, the times yeah. that they were in, it's it's 
it's playing into audiences' fears of that, whether they meant to or not, you know? Yeah, I mean, a, a group of black people kidnapping a white woman is, I mean, in 2021, it's still going to look pretty fucking bad. Yeah, like, but in like the just... 30s... If a, yeah, I feel like if a white woman said that a black man looked at her a certain way, they might be killed back then. So it's it's, it's way uh, more loaded. I know? mean, no, they they, yeah, definitely would be. Yeah, or had there definitely were cases of that happening. Yes. Totally. All right. Well, since we already got to the heavy, should we talk about like the political messaging and context and overall meaning of this film? I mean, we've touched on a lot of it, but maybe just uh, round it out. Sure, I'm not entirely sure what else to say, so why don't you lead that off? Well, okay, first off, I mean, we've mentioned a few times, but not only did they t- this take place during the Great Depression and come out during the Great Depression, which I've heard part of the reasons that it was so iconic, not only for being a great film, but it was like such a great escape for at the time. In the film, I feel like they're, it's very clear that the Great Depression is happening, like, in the beginning, they talk about the studios all being closed now, or the studio nearby is closed now, and so that's why people are out of work. And that makes a lot more sense when you know that that's what's happening economically. So I thought it was interesting to start the movie off with all these out-of-work women, people saying the studios are closed now. I think it's Anne saying, like, oh, I wanted to be an actress, but the studio's closed now, so I don't know what to do. And then the to contrast that with the end, we're seeing Grand New York City all these rich people wearing pearls, buying $20 tickets to see something they don't even know what it is. It, it felt like at the time that would have been more evident that that was a part of the context in the film of the film than it is now, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, uh, the first time I watched it, it didn't even occur to me that it was taking place during the Depression. It's the only time it really kind of alludes to that is uh, when he's trying to find an actress and he goes to like the women's... Uh, the mission with all the long line of uh, poor women lining up for a meal. And I think Anne saying she's out of work because the studios aren't open anymore. Yeah. That's pretty much the only time it really alludes to it. Um, Do you think, I know what you're going to say, but I'm going to ask anyway. Do you think at all that denim is supposed to be a critique of the excesses of capitalism in the entertainment industry? Because a lot of people do. No, I I don't. (laughs) No, I like I said before, that's not something I thought of when I first watched this. And then I watched Son of Kong. And I thought, oh, maybe these people all do have deeper politics than I give them credit for. And then I learned more about who they were as people. And I went back to thinking my original thought of that they were unaware of Carl Denham being a, a shitbag. Who... I think you, you might be right. I also think, okay, first of all, there's... You know, there's the idea that something, the film could be a critique of that, even if the intent wasn't to, right? Um, oh, totally. Because they're unaware of that. And I do think that also, like, hearing some guy in the 70s talking about these people doesn't necessarily mean that that's an accurate portrayal of who those people really were. I think it's possible. That's true. That he they, was somebody that, that knew them and... Uh, still, he's... And, and talked to them and... He's speaking um, in their honor... You know what I mean? Like, I think it's possible that there are nuances that either he's not aware of or we don't want. I don't know. I just think it's it's so hard for me to watch this movie and think that there's not a critique of the entertainment industry. You know what I mean? Like the entire thing is the entertainment industry gets a bunch of people killed. That's the movie. 
is a trip. But I don't know. I really, I really don't think that was the case. I think the one of the biggest critiques was just that rich people are fucking annoying. <laughs> but I mean, he's like, Denim literally goes like, the whole world will pay to see this, and then a bunch of people die. Like, yeah. <laughs> After a bunch of people pay to see it, and then nobody gets mad at him. Nobody gives a fuck that all these people are dying because of him. Nobody gave a fuck that 12 crew members died because yeah. of him. And then he doesn't I, face any consequences, which is totally a trip. Yeah, I mean, until, like, you said the next movie. Yeah. But there's none of that in this movie. You don't see that at all. Okay, so I think most of the political stuff we've talked about already, um, including them kind of being colonizers, right? Something on that island no white man's never ever seen. So I only have one more political thing to bring up to you before we do our concluding thoughts, Charlie. You ready? Uh-huh. There's one line that I didn't notice my first time, but when I watched it with people, people went, um, excuse me? So I thought I would say this line and see what you thought they meant and how it makes you feel now. Somebody says, torches going through the village like the night before election. Yeah, I um, I had no idea what that meant. Because, uh, like, nowadays, that makes me think of Charlottesville. Obviously, it wasn't the night before election. Yeah. But what the fuck are they talking about? I don't know. And I don't even know in 1933, like, what the recent elections around then were. Um, I, I don't know who was president <laughs> at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big old dummy. Yeah, um, same. But, yeah, I was like, wait, what? I had no idea what that meant either. I uh, That definitely caused me to pause, too. I feel like that is a slight hint at the humor we're going to get in Son of Kong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, weird political things that are just, they happen and then they're gone. Yeah, totally. Um, yep, I had no idea what that okay. meant. Okay, what are your concluding thoughts on this movie, Charlie, before we rate it? Um, well, first of all, do you have any, like, uh, favorite parts, favorite shots or anything? Yeah, I mean, okay. The T-Rex dead and then walking by is great. And, and the whole the whole scene with the T-Rex is really, really good. Honestly, it's probably it's probably the, the same ones everybody loves. The T-Rex and then the Kong breaking out of the chains. Those are probably my favorite parts. Um, I also do love, because all the buildup is so good, I do love when Skull Island is revealed. It's beautiful. It's mysterious. It changes the whole tone of the movie or the whole, like backdrop of the movie but it doesn't they did a great job with the effects where it doesn't look out of place even though it's so different than everything we've seen how about you is this shot when they when they put Anne on the um sacrificial uh pillar or whatever you'd call it they tire in between and then um there's a shot of her and then there's there's like complete darkness around her of the night sky and then through that you see like the gates and all the natives and uh it's just a really stunning, gorgeous shot. It just it just caused my jaw to drop. It was just a really incredible job. That that scene is honestly horrifying. Like watching her get yeah. tied up to be sacrificed is fucking horrible. Like that to me, that's the most horrifying scene. Oh, definitely. When they when we talk about Kong, King Kong is a horror film. That's definitely the most horrific part. Yeah. Um, especially because at that point, you as an audience, you haven't seen King Kong yet. So you don't know. It's still this. Yeah. Is still the suspenseful uh, mystery of what Kong is. And can you guess what my favorite part of the movie was? No. Oh, it's I know. When... I know. It's Denim what? saying it was beauty that killed the beast. 
Oh, no. <laughs> I For a second there, I thought you had it. It's when they're going, the crew led by Denim are going after Anne, and they stumble upon a stegosaurus, which is the first time dinosaurs have been seen by man, other than the people on the natives on this island. And Carl Denham says, Hey, look at that! Keep quiet so he doesn't see us! And just, hey, look at that, is just the funniest reaction ever to seeing a dinosaur. I had to pause it and rewind it multiple times, because I thought it was just the funniest thing <laughs> So, yeah, I think that I didn't even realize until we had this conversation, but the human's treatment of the dinosaurs as just something that's happening is one of the most (laughs) fucking confusing parts of this movie that's never talked about. I want to throw out uh, about the overture. Really, you should probably talk about the score in general. What what do you think about the overture? Did you watch it? Or I couldn't you know possibly comment on the overture because I fast forwarded through it both or all three times, both times. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, do you know about the overture? I mean, I know what an overture is. I had to do a bit of research on this, but uh, so yeah, if you're watching the movie at the beginning of most modern copies, there's uh, like a five minute overture, but that was not from. According to my, what I could find online, that was not part of the original movie. Oh, wow. Um, that was, I, I was Googling it for a bit, and there's one person that commented on multiple message boards who said that they, like, they knew Max Steiner, and they were, like, an official, like, archivist or something of, of Max Steiner's stuff. He's the composer of the movie, of the score of the movie. And according to them, they said that the overture was just compiled by somebody in the 70s who then converted it to 16 millimeter film and then put it on to their copy of King Kong. And then that started being distributed. Whoa. And so this, the overture was not something until 2005 when TCM started airing it with the overture and the DVD came out at the, in, in the same year. It was not something that was really associated with the film. There's some people that argue and say, no, the overture was actually in the uh, original premiere at Grauman's Chinese Theater, even if it wasn't part of the wide distribution of the movie. Okay. But my understanding, from what I've read up on it, I agree with the person that says that it was not part of the original film. Interesting. I will say in the commentary from the Laserdisc, the Criterion, I don't think he mentions the overture. No, the commentary doesn't even start till after the overture. Yeah, so that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, but I wanted to point that out because when you first texted me, you're like, only real kaiju fans uh, watch it with the overture or something like that. (laughs) Um, It's true. Which apparently you didn't even do, so I guess you're not a real kaiju fan. I can't remember if I watched it one of the times, but I know I fast-forwarded through the first time. Well, I also overall the score didn't really. I was it was fine. I wasn't really in love with it. I loved the the scene with the ceremony. I thought that music was great, and overall, besides that, it it did its job. It was entertaining. It was fine. It wasn't anything that really stand out to me as uh, outstanding. It was hugely influential. First time it was like one of the first scores for a talkie one of the first scores for a hollywood film uh, specifically composed for the 
the film or something like that. Interesting. But, yeah, it was. I mean, it was fine. I I kind of feel the same. It was fine. I do think that one of the pieces the uh, was kind of out of place. The like Kong 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 Gong. You know, that was like <laughs> kind of out of place. Well, speaking of music, I think uh, after we tell people where they can find us on the internet we should play daniel johnston's song king kong for people who haven't heard it because it just basically describes the plot perfectly right on (laughs) sick um i did i was lucky enough to see daniel johnston once live i do not remember if he did perform king kong hell yeah i hope he did okay we'll play that but first we gotta rate this movie so the way the way that we do this on no gods no monsters is that we're, we have a tiered system. It's similar to the A, uh, sorry, the S, A, B, C, D, F system. So that we'll, we'll put movies in whatever tier we feel they fall in, but only for that uh, series, right? So we're only going to, we're going to have a specific tier for King Kong, a specific tier for Godzilla, etc. So instead of S, A, B, C, D, F, Charlie, do you want us, do you want to walk us through uh the our rating system all right so s tier we got giant fucking ape that's what we're calling the s tier giant fucking ape write that down for your records you're not a kaiju fan unless you write that down for your records tier a donkey kong the true king of the kongs donkey kong a uh tier b dino suplex yeah, we all love that scene where King Kong fucking wrestles that dino and gives him a suplex. Dino suplex. Did he give him a suplex? I don't remember. Uh, anyways, tier C, Diddy Kong. Nowhere near as good as Donkey Kong, but still, he's a solid Kong. He's an average he's, Kong. He's an average Kong. He's going to hold up tier C. I mean, he's definitely better than Lanky Kong and Trixie Kong. Oof. Um. Let's let's not start a fight at the end of this like two hour long or whatever. <laughs> good point. Good point. D is can't peel banana. Why would they not give Kong a banana in this movie? Because he can't fucking peel them, and they didn't want to put that on film. That would be embarrassing. Be pathetic. Who's king now, motherfucker? Pathetic and embarrassing. And tier F, incel ape. Because let's face it, Kong at our at heart is an incel ape. All right, what's your rating? Ooh, me first? Yep. I'm still trying to decide. I honestly, I'm somewhere between Giant Fucking Ape and Donkey Kong. I love this movie. It makes sense to me that he sh- it should be Giant Fucking Ape because it's King Kong. It's the King Kong movie. There's a reason that, unlike the Godzilla series, which has never remade the original Godzilla, it's just done interpretations and sequels, half of the God- King Kong movies are remakes <laughs> of this movie. But it's... Uh, except for the ones made by the studio that did all the Godzilla movies. Sure. Um, so uh, Toho but... is more creative than Hollywood. Sure, Anyways, sure, sure, on. sure. But also, I don't know. Uh, I gotta, I gotta give a giant fucking ape. It's uh, in in the scale of King Kong movies. It's a giant fucking ape. Final answer. I'm pretty. I I mean I was I'm right with you. I don't know. Between Giant Fucking Ape and Donkey Kong. I think it's an incredible new movie. I think it's one of the all-time greatest movies. I think it's one of the all-time most influential movies. Willis O'Brien's work on this with his animation and his general effects. And uh, it 
the mechanical stuff is it's all incredible just so groundbreaking so mind-blowing to be made in 1933 it's hard not to get a giant fucking ape um and i do think it's it stands up as one of the greatest movies ever and i think modern audiences could really get a kick out of it well i would have a harder time recommending other movies from its era just because it's pacing is just it really matches up with modern day pacing more than other movies um, from the time period. That being said, it's hard not to watch this and think about the misogyny, the racism, the, the I mean, the general politics, which we touched on a lot. So it's, do I deduct it points for that? Or do I just accept it for how much fun I have while watching it and just turning my brain off and just having a fucking blast? <laughs> And I've been having trouble deciding that since I first watched it. I think just if you hadn't chosen Giant Fucking Ape, I'd probably choose Giant Fucking Ape. But because you chose Giant Fucking Ape, I'm going to go with Donkey Kong. Wow. I will say I will give him both of Diddy Kong's peanut blasters. No, 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 no. This is a tier system. There's no in-betweens. There's no 3.5s, bro. It's it's not a 3.5. It's... In A, it's just Donkey Kong armed with peanut blasters. <laughs> All right. And I and will say... I'm also going to give him a box of Junior Mints because we're in the movie theater. Okay, cool. Well, we'll revisit these ratings later so they're not set in stone. I also am torn between them. But I'm going to go with Giant Fucking Ape because I can't think of a King Kong movie that I would put above this one. So on the scale of King Kong movies, it's Giant Fucking Ape. Um, yeah, and it may be that on the scale... <laughs> yeah, that's another thing I had problems with. I don't... It's going to be hard to see if another King Kong lives up to this. The uh, Toho Kong versus Godzilla might, but I don't know about any other one. Really. Totally. I just wanted to throw out a few recommendations. This got me on a bit of a pre-code kick. So I watched a couple other pre-code movies this past week. I want to recommend anybody that enjoys this movie. I would also recommend from 1933, James Whale's The Invisible Man. It's, uh, I think its special effects are, it's also has groundbreaking special effects for the era. And it's has a super high body count, which is pretty surprising for a universal horror movie. It's very funny, and James Whale was one of the great horror directors of the era. This is his third film in his his run of four fantastic horror movies. He did Frankenstein, um, The Old Dark House, The Invisible Man, and then Bride of Frankenstein, four of the greatest movies ever made. Check that one out. Another one I would recommend would be Island of Lost Souls. Is uh 1933 adaptation of the Dr. Moreau story has themes of vivisection, torture, mad science. It's probably the first ever pro furry film. It has some super great early fantastic makeup uh, effects. Has Charles Charles Lofton as playing one of the best versions of Dr. Moreau out there. A very campy version. And Bella Lugosi as the Sayer of the Law, and he just fucking kills it, even though you, because he has so much makeup on and fur, you can't even tell it's Bella Lugosi. And my third recommendation is 1934's The Black Cat, 
directed by Edgar G. Ulmer, starring Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff, has themes of torture, Satanism, Satanic cult, necrophilia, corpses preserved in display cases. We have Bela Lugosi as a hero who, within the first 15 minutes, kills a cat. That's how fucking weird and fucked up and dark and twisted this movie is man i'm almost so. glad we got that code <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's uh pretty crazy because his character has a fear of black cats but at the point he kills this this cat you don't know he has this fear cats <laughs> have not been mentioned a cat just appears and he grabs a knife and throws it at the cat damn <laughs> it's uh Pretty brutal movie, and apparently the original version was even darker, but they had to, the the head of the studio demanded that they make some cuts and some reshots. Anyways, those are some recommendations. Hell yeah, thanks for that. Alright, well that does it for King Kong 1933. We appreciate you all listening this long. Right now, since we this is well before we've even gone live, we don't have anything but a Twitter set up, so uh, check us out on Twitter at at no gods pod our dms are open and we hope you enjoy listening to the beautiful acapella music of daniel johnston singing king kong see you next time they shot him down they shot him down they thought he was a monster But he was the king They came to his island And they brought her with them They wanted to get his picture But they were surprised by his enormous size And when he saw the woman He took her without question Because after all, he was a king, and he loved the woman, he loved the way she looked, but she wouldn't stop her screaming. But he loved the woman, and he fought a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It was a bloody battle, but he fought it for his woman. And he climbed up a mountain, and he looked around some kind of forest with all those dinosaurs. And he stripped his woman, he stripped her bare. But there was a pterodactyl there, and then a hero came and took his woman, and they fell off the mountain into some water, and then later he came looking for his woman. But they were waiting, and they threw a bomb, and they tied him, and they took him across the ocean, 
And they chained him and put him in a show. But when he saw his woman, he broke loose. And everyone fled in terror. And he was looking for her. And he overturned the train. He was looking in the streets. And then he found her in her apartment. And he climbed up the Empire State Building. It was like a phallic symbol. And he took his woman to the top of that towering temple. And he climbed up and he looked around. Some kind of city with all those skyscrapers and all the cars. Just him and his screaming woman, they were finally alone. He loved his woman, you could see it in his eyes, his great big eyes. He loved his woman from the moment he saw her. He was all choked up inside. But when the airplanes came, he was soon to die. But he hung on long enough to set his woman down and make sure she was safe. And as the bullets pierced, he looked at her so sincere before he fell. Because he loved his woman, they shot him down. They shot him down. They thought he was a monster, but he was a king. Who killed the monkey? Who killed the monkey? Twas beauty that killed the beast. And Willis O'Brien died a tragic death. There wasn't much that he had left. And Ray Harryhausen said, that when Will has died, that's when the king was really dead. They shot him down. They shot him down. They thought he was a monster, but he was a king. But he was a king. But he was the king, but he was the king.